And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. That's our theme verse from Luke chapter 2, verse 6 for this week's Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Senior Pastor Perry Duggar begins our series, Experiencing Christmas, with this week's episode titled, Season of Love. If you want to watch the video of this week's message, listen to worship, or search through our message archives, visit brookwoodchurch.org watch or download the Brookwood Church app. We pray this message encourages you and your walk with Christ. Come and see what God has done. We can become so embroiled in the frustrations of our current situation that we overlook what God has done, can't we? Don't miss that. Don't miss that. We begin our Christmas series, which you probably got the hint. I love these trees. And I'm calling this series Experiencing Christmas. In this holiday series, we will focus on the emotions, the feelings that result from Jesus' arrival on earth. Now, I think all of us Get excited at Christmas, right? Do we have any Grinches in here? Any that grumble all the way through? Go ahead and point them out so I can call them out. But most of us enjoy lighted trees in the house and strings of lights on the shrubbery, reeds with bows in the windows, Social gatherings with family and friends, though be careful that you're not arrested. (laughs) Special gifts and favorite foods that mark this time of year. We feel joy, hope, happiness, anticipation, and of course, love. which we must be mindful that that brings sadness for some who have lost loved ones who have passed. So the title for this message today is Season of Love, and we will focus on the affection of Christmas. Now, where's, where's that phrase found in the Bible, season of love? Where is it, Jevielin? You know where that is? That is a good guess. Both wrong. (laughs) Season of love is not a phrase found in the Bible. It appears as a line in a song. It's a catchphrase on a Christmas card. But it's an accurate description of the atmosphere, the motivation and the result of the first Christmas when God came to earth as a child. Theme verse for this morning's message found in Luke chapter two. So you're right about Luke there, Chevy Lynn. Luke chapter two. Well, if love is 
There you go. You dig in a deep hole. You better stop now. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. And we think of love at Christmas because at, at Christmas time, perhaps more than almost any other time, save maybe a birthday, but Christmas is both of those things, isn't it? The word Noel is actually related to Latin for birth. Uh, Noel is French. It, it relates to news in French. So it's actually announcing of birth is what Noel literally stands for. So how appropriate it is. And so we think of love at Christmas because at that time we express our affection, our sincere appreciation, high value, deep concern for family members, for friends, and for others we care about, some that we respect. Now we most commonly think of love as an emotional expression. But for believers, for Christians, followers of Christ, it's better understood as a decision, an unselfish act of the will to do what is best for another person, often at great cost to yourself. You see, love is demonstrated by personal sacrifice for the good of another. Perhaps that may be the best definition of love. Put in one phrase. God's love, which is greater than our own, of course, can be defined as an, uncom an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. But love doesn't take into account the weakness of the other, does it? And so we aspire to display that type of love in our lives. Now, God does not merely feel fondness for us. I think he does feel fondness for us. But he has decided he wills to achieve our good for his glory, in a display of his nature and his character. So as we begin, I want you to think about this seriously. Have you experienced God's love? Have you experienced God's love? And if not, Christmas is a good time to start. God's love first is expressed through the incarnation. Incarnation literally means the act of being made flesh. I like y'all here better than over there. The act of being made flesh. Jesus became human through a normal human birth. Look at Matthew chapter one. Yeah, verse 22. 
All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet, Isaiah the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now that statement by the angel includes parts of passages from several different spots in Isaiah. Isaiah 7, 14, Isaiah 8, 8, Isaiah 8, 10. But the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, took on humanity without sacrificing divinity. He became fully man, yet remained fully God. Jesus, the God-man, had two natures, human and divine, but united in one person. Now, this is referred to in theology as the hypostatic union. Y'all needed to hear that this year, right? I needed, you needed to have something new. Hypostatic union. And what it literally means is two distinct natures existing in one person without a mixture or a dilution, a loss of either nature. So one didn't overcome the other, but two was found in one being. Jesus didn't sacrifice his deity, his godness. He wasn't conceived in sin or born in sin like we are because he was conceived, as you know, by the Holy Spirit. Matthew 120, Luke 134 and 35. As an expression of God's love for us. 1 John 4, verse 9 and 10. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. And this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Jesus came as an expression of God's love, as the expression of God's love. And see, love, love, true love is selfless. It's one-sided. It's not even a trade-off. Sometimes even in our marriages, we make love a trade-off. You do this, I'll do that. Love is selfless. And so God is showing his love for us. We deserve nothing. We didn't initiate anything. He didn't wait to see whether we would love him. He loved us. And so why was this an act of love? Because God the Father conceived of God the Son becoming human to serve our needs, not any of his own. The deliberate love of God was dramatically expressed through the incarnation because Jesus gave up his equality with God. 
He gave up his divine privileges. That's his position and his power of equality with God. Philippians 2 tells us. In order to become human. And as a human, he could identify with our weaknesses and our struggles, even our temptations, though he didn't submit to them. Hebrews 2, Hebrews 4. Did Jesus experience our sin? Did he? He did. He did experience our sin. He didn't sin. He became sin. He experienced our sin. Though he didn't commit it, he accepted it. He identified with it. And then, because he became sin, he received the punishment due that sin so that we could receive his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 is a deep, deep verse that, you know, spend some time thinking about this. He had to be human so that he could suffer physically and die. That death on the cross was substitutionary. He took our place. He paid our penalty. So the incarnation pained the father. You ever had a child move away? Anybody have a child move away? I hated that. I, I, I cried on the way back from Clemson. And th- you did too. <laughs> and then I cried again on the way back from University of South Carolina. Thankfully, they both live within 20 miles today. And they're introducing new little ones into the family. But, but that separation from a loved one is painful. Even when it's not a separation in attitude, it's a separation in presence. The relationship is not every day. Jesus prayed and communicated with the Father, but he was not in the Father's presence continually during the time he was on earth. But not only was there a, a separate in term of a separation in terms of presence, there was also be a separation in a more excruciating way through the sacrifice, the suffering, the death of his son. And when we show love, perhaps by giving gifts at Christmas, now think about it. Some of you are really good gifts givers. But how many of us give without expecting anything at all? And how many of you notice when the tag in the back of the shirt has been cut? Or there's sometimes I think they use a magic marker or something, don't they? To let it be known that you got that on discount. How many of us, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of us honestly feel like there ought to be a sort of a somewhat equal exchange? I mean, how many of you have ever gone away from Christmas thinking, well, I gave her this and look what she gave me. 
This looks like a re-gift. If we think that way, do we give like Christ? Do we give in the way that God has given to us? Mm -mm. But there is in many of us an unspoken, maybe not even, it may even be unacknowledged expectation of receiving a gift of similar quality in return. It's not like God's love. God's love is entirely others focused. He didn't benefit personally from the incarnation. It caused him great agony. Do you think God feels pain? You think? Yeah. He'd have to, wouldn't he? If we're in his image, how could he be? Sometimes I think, some of us think, well, he's a spirit, he feels nothing. Oh, no, no, that's not who God is. God is more person than we are. We're a dim reflection of his nature. The fact that we have emotions means he has greater, purer, clearer, more exact emotions than we do. God agonized over sending the son away and particularly the reason he was sending him away. But look at this. I love this verse too, Romans 5, 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us. When? When we behaved well? While we were sinners. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. He didn't send it because he thought we would behave better. Send him because we, he thought we would behave better. He didn't send his son because we deserved it in any way. He sent his son because we were utterly helpless. We were in the deepest of need. We were desperate. And so God gave what we needed, forgiveness, through a priceless gift. I love this, I love this verse from Corinthians, the past part of the verse. I think y'all might have to know it. <laughs> a gift that is too wonderful for words. Second Corinthians 9, 15. Some translations say, an inexpressible gift. Do you understand that Jesus coming at Christmas was an expression, the most definitive expression of God's love for you? Do you understand that? Do you understand that? That's the foundation of our faith. How does that make you feel? You know, how many of us have this lingering idea that God is disappointed in us? 
We can never step into intimacy with a God who we think is constantly disappointed in in us. Does that make sense? When there are people that don't approve of you, that are disappointed in you, can you enter into relationship with them deeply, openly? Hmm. But see, how could we disappoint God if, as Romans 5 said, while we were sinners, and remember, our sin, though it's not all visible to us, is all visible to him. While we were sinners, he sent his son for you. You ever made any mistakes? He knew it. And it's those mistakes that caused him to send his son. Do you ever think of that? It's those very mistakes, those weaknesses that showed the need we have. And God said, only I can meet that need. Only I can. So if we feel guilty towards God, if we feel unworthy toward God, we don't understand his love for us. Now, if we ever understand it, it makes us appreciative and we avoid sin out of appreciation, not out of fear. And we'll look at that again in this other point because God's love is extended through salvation. See, for God's love to be real, it must be truly received and experienced practically, tangibly. Do you know what it is to be loved by someone? It's, is it tangible? Can you touch it? You can feel it. You can't touch it, but you sure can feel it, can't you? There's not a more powerful force. So if our love is tangible, how could his not be? Let's look at Matthew chapter one, verse 20. This is Joseph as he considers whether he should divorce Mary upon learning of her pregnancy. As he quickly considered, as he considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. We think about being saved from other people's sins, don't we? But how often do we think of Jesus saving me from my sins? Now the angel Announce also announcing the birth of Jesus to the shepherds in the fields outside. Also declared that Jesus would be the savior, that he would bring peace on earth to those on whom the favor of God would rest or to those who are, were pleased in the eyes of God. 
Luke 2, 11 and 14. And then eight days later at the temple, at the time of circumcision, circumcision, a righteous man referred to Jesus as God's salvation prepared for all people. So we see several times early in his life that he would bring salvation. He would be the savior. And yes, God's love was expressed through the incarnation, but it's extended practically through personal, tangible, individual receipt of salvation. We can know God's love in the incarnation and the sending of his son, but oh, that, sh- that, that, that dims beside personally experiencing the love of God through salvation. Faye, you know the difference? They're both wonderful, but boy, the second one is life-changing. You see, Jesus was sent not merely to teach or to lead or to model faith. He was sent to save. Salvation is deliverance from danger or suffering. It includes the ideas of victory, protection, preservation. Now salvation, Greek soteria, can refer to physical rescue. Paul spoke of being rescued or delivered. Either English word can be used in Philippians 1.19. But more often this word in the New Testament concerns eternal spiritual deliverance. And more oftenly the word, the Greek word sozo is used. And it also refers to entering the kingdom of God. When do you enter the kingdom of God? When you're born again. You need to come up here. I'm going to give you a gold star. Because <laughs> a lot of people think, oh no, we enter the kingdom of God after we die. No, no. You enter the kingdom of God when you're born again. And you continue in the kingdom of God after you die. We are saved from God's wrath. It's interesting when I hear people speak of, of God as though he were an old grandfather who just pats people on the head and winks at sin. That's not who God is. God is fierce. He's holy. He's righteous. And he will pour out wrath against sin in the appropriate amount. And we are saved from what was due us. We are saved from what we earned. We are saved from what we deserve. By faith. But if we diminish the wrath of God, you see, guess what? We diminish the value of salvation, don't we? And the wrath of God includes eternal separation. You see, that seems awful cruel, but what happens is that people get what they really wanted. In life, they didn't want God messing with them, confronting them, containing them. And so in in, in eternity, they're just really given what they demonstrated they wanted on earth. Our 
Our sin has separated us from God. Our salvation, and we're born in that sin, but our salvation allows us to be adopted, to be returned, to be redeemed as his children. Please, this Christmas, learn you're a much-loved child of God. It'll change how you live. I've brought my little grandson out here and all of you could quickly, immediately see that I love that boy and there's not anything he could do to separate from me. He's not a perfect child, much as that may surprise you. But there's nothing he could do to lose my love. Then why do we think God's love is so tenuous with us? He delivers us from the consequence of our sin. He frees us from the control of our own sins. And through salvation, we know the love of God. I'm not talking about information. I'm talking about experience. 1 John 4, 16, you can see it here. We know how much God loves us. And we have put our trust in his love. See, those two are related, aren't they? You won't be able to trust God if you don't know his love for you. They're, the two are always related, love and trust. See, knowing God's love for us enables us to believe his promise, his promises of forgiveness, his promises of eternal life. And our ability to trust God in every situation grows as we experience intimacy with him. 1 John 4, 17 and 18, just the next passage after this. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. See what I'm saying? As we're in intimacy with him, you wake up with him, you spend the day with him, you, you speak to him before you go to sleep. You may even dream of him. But as we live in God, our love grows more perfect, more whole. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. And then I go on. Such love has no fear. Because perfect love, whole love, experienced love, expels all fear. If we are afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows we've not fully experienced his perfect love. Do you fear facing God? You may have to dig down and, and check out really honestly. We're so used to, to giving religious answers. Dig a little deeper. Do you fear facing God one day? Are you afraid he will reject you or criticize you?
or be disappointed in you? If so, you haven't experienced his love. When we experience God's love, we cannot contain it. It flows out to others. That's how you are. If somebody gets near you, they're going to get loved. Isn't that true? And others of you are like that. 1 John 4, 19. We love each other because he loved us first. You see, God's love is evidenced by love for others. I had an uncle who's passed away now. My mother's family were all farmers. Grew corn and raised pigs and cows and when I lived there on the farm, I helped sometimes slopping the hogs. Who knows about slopping the hogs? Raising soybeans, not soybeans, soybeans. And this uncle was a, calling him kind would be a stretch. He just was real stiff. You know what I'm saying? I think anybody ever make a living at farming? It's hard and it's threatening to rely on the price of crops, the weather, you know, and he showed it. He showed it. Never mean to us, but there just wasn't a lot of warmth. You know what I'm saying? And as an older man, he was probably my age, <laughs> but as an older man, he, he was born again and he became a completely different man. And he spoke of love. If you got near him, he's going to hug you, he'd kiss you, he'd do, you know. Do you know anybody that's, ch you've seen change like that? Have you? Does anybody know anybody they've seen change in that way? Yeah, because when God's love, when you experience God's love, it fills you up to the point you cannot contain it. You have a new nature. It's coming out. And when we experience God's love, it enables us to show love. Yes, to God but also to others. 1 John 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. And anyone who loves, and that's loving in the way he does, selflessly, is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now that's pretty absolute, isn't it? Do you think that's unreasonable? No, because when the love of God fills you, it changes your nature. You say, well, I'm just not like that. 
Well, you may not be like that before you were born again and filled with the spirit, but after you're filled with the spirit, you're like that. Do you love? Do you love? Now you say, well, wonder why we don't love. Don't we all love? No, we don't all love. And we all have wounds. And some of us find it very difficult to love because of our own insecurity, our lack of self-worth, our fear of rejection, anger from past wounds. All of these things prevent us from expressing the vulnerability that love requires. Love requires vulnerability. You agree with that? And so when we haven't experienced love, unconditional acceptance, we we won't be able to show love because we will feel closed off, distant, self-protective, to prevent anyone from reaching and re-injuring the wounded, sensitive parts of us that have experienced rejection. My father passed away more than a year ago. I never reached his heart. I never reached his heart. He never admitted it, but something had wounded him so deeply he could never be vulnerable and open. Never. But those of us who have experienced the love of God, even though we've experienced pain, will still be able to love. Because haven't we all experienced pain? Haven't we all had disappointment? Your house burned down for goodness sakes. And people loved you and helped you get back. And you loved them. When we are loved by God and we know it, we will feel so self-assured in our identity in our value that we will extend ourselves to love others even though it exposes us to possible rejection. Are you understanding this? See, if you're always protective, there may be a reason you're always self-protective, but it means you haven't really experienced the love of God which makes you secure. First John 4, 11. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one's ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. Being able to love. Even if not loved in return equally. Is evidence of our faith.
It's evidence that we know that we've experienced the love of God. If we are unloving toward others, everybody has to look at themselves. So those around you don't punch, poke, look, prod. Let's look at ourselves. If I am unloving toward others, it indicates that I haven't truly, fully experienced the love of God. It might mean that I or you are not born again. True Christ-like love is sacrificial. It gives and it demands nothing in return. John 15. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And how many ways are there to lay down our lives? Certainly there's literally dying as Jesus did, but how many ways do we die to our own preference? Our own way, our own stubborn opinions, our need for things to be done a certain way, our need to be treated a certain way. How many of us need to die to a few of those things to display our love for others? Selfishness has got to go. Self-centeredness, stubbornness, pride, they've got to all go. They've got to all go. Because that's laying down our lives for another. Does your love for other people show, display, prove that you have experienced God's love for you? Care volunteers are here. If the Spirit has spoken to you about something while I was speaking, you know I believe that Anything spiritual and meaningful that happens isn't from my words, it's from the Spirit's words to you. But there'll be people here that they'll be happy to pray with you, to talk with you, to counsel with you. They'll also be in the care connection room across the concourse. That's a private room where someone will be. Isn't that right? They're over there, aren't they, they, Josh? Yes, they are. We have oil to anoint you for healing, emotional, spiritual, physical healing. This week... Begin asking God to help you understand how much he loves you. See, I didn't tell you to try to be more loving to others. That's just more human effort. It's good effort. But we love others because we've been loved by God. Ask God to show you how much he loves you. And our memory verse this week is God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world 
so that we might have eternal life through him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. Lord, don't let us pass through this season of Christmas without understanding that it displayed your love dramatically and personally to each of us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. Our memory verse is 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. Here's this week's spiritual practice. Ask God to help you understand the love he showed you through the gift of his son, Jesus. As you read our daily readings, ask him that question before reading each day. Spend a moment in silence to see what thoughts he brings to your mind. Then write down your response to God. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Please email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our Connections team. Thank you for listening. Have a great week and Merry Christmas.